Hey folks, welcome to the Lakes Church Podcast. It's my joy to welcome you and simply acknowledge that your willingness to step into this space and give your time and attention and energy is a gift, and we honor that. As we enter a new year, we've shifted. We had expected to do one thing, but with a burden of prayer rising up in the heart of our community, we want to respond to that. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we'll be leaning into, is turning to Jesus and his teachings on prayer itself. What does it look like for us not to just be a church that prays, but to become a praying community with the heart of Jesus at the center? And so to that end, we begin with the Lord's Prayer. I invite you as we make our way into this new series to ask, quite simply, what does it mean for me to grow in an ongoing conversation with God? That is simply how we define prayer. This is an ongoing conversation between you and God. And so as you make your way into this teaching, I'd love to simply pray for you, that God would lift his face upon you, that he would give you peace this day, and that you would become the type of person for whom prayer and ongoing conversation with God becomes not something on the sidelines, but the very center of your life. So may God bless you as you turn your attention to his word this day. Well, if you would flip or tap in your Bibles on over to the gospel according to Luke, that is where we will be spending the, the bulk of our time this morning. But in route, um, I just want to let you know, we, we are shifting plans today. If you came here expecting, because I said as much in this past season, that we would be uh, doing a series called The Unholy Trinity on Money, Sex, and Power. I just have to say I'm sorry. That's not happening yet. Um, I know some of you are like, oh, my, those are my, my three favorite topics for pastors to talk about. <laughs> what I do with my finances and my body and my power. Oh, please, pastor, say more. Well, just like wait with bated breath. It'll come later. But what, what happened is you see on New Year's Eve, some... Women and men and children from this church, they just, we, we tarried on into the night. And at 10.05, something shifted in the room, right in the very seats that you're sitting in. And it was, it was when Madison, our youth pastor, she came up and she began to um, pray. And essentially what we were doing that night is we were just saying, what if we turned our attention and affection toward Jesus? And we just asked, as we step into the new year, we say yes to you. We don't know exactly what that would mean, but we just want to join our collective yes with the heavens and see what might happen. And so as we're doing that, it's 10.05, Madison comes forward, and she brings uh, this, this poster board with um, these little Polaroid pictures of all the students and then the names of the students who have refused to have their pictures taken, the irony because it's, you know, it's like the selfie generation. But um, there, there sits a, a board with all of these students' names, and, and she just begins to pray for them by name and, and some of them to share their stories, and then some of the students themselves, they begin to pray for God to move, and there was this burden, at least as I experienced it, that was released for the youth of the lakeshore. And that night, that burden lingered, and then over the next, the next day, it was still there, and then I turned to my wife, Jessica, and I was like, we're supposed to do this series, I just mentioned it, and I was like, I don't think we should do it, and she goes, well, you probably shouldn't do it then, if it was just that simple, Jessica. But it was, and so I just, I, I sent our staff a message. I said, hey, can we do this? I think we should shift, and here's what I think maybe we should do. And it was, and then Elijah sends me this. I'm like, let's go. 
<laughs> like let, let us move toward this reality of um, perhaps we could just open this year with an invitation and join the disciples' prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. And I imagine for some of you in the room that that brings out, I don't know, some apprehension. For some of you, you are really glad because you did not want to step into the new year with money, sex, and power as the, the thing that the Lakes was talking about. And so I, I just have to say, like, again, like, just wait. It, those things are significant. But, but if we have in front of us just, I don't know, Christian ethics, what we ought to do in light of Christ, but we don't have Christ, if we don't have Jesus at the center of our mind and our heart and our imagination, then the Christian ethics are for naught. Because how many of us know people for whom they talk about a thing, but then you look at their life and there is no substance? You have a form, but you don't have the reality. And I would guess that the form is easier to hold than the substances. And so our heart here is to really like pursue the substance. I don't care about the form. If you come from a liturgical background, you are welcome. If you come from a charismatic background, you are welcome. If you come from a Catholic background or an Orthodox background or no background at all, our hope is that we would pursue the substance and then God would give breath or voice and life to a form that serves the season. And then if it needs to shift, we can be adaptable and that can shift as well. See, to my mind, prayer, it is not just something that is on the periphery. It's not just something that is on the side for really those pious few who, like, it's, it's not the women with bad coffee and styrofoam cups in the basement of churches. That is not prayer. Like, that's not the thing that, and maybe that is the only thing that comes to your mind. My hope is that there would be a shift in your imagination, but prayer must be at the center of our discipleship to Jesus, our apprenticeship to our rabbi Jesus. And by God's grace, I want to point us in that direction. I don't think I really have much to give. A lot of what I say up here is just the repetition of people who are smarter than me, but they say imitation before innovation, so I'm just going to go with that. You see, I, if prayer is not the center, then we're really just fooling ourselves. We're just pursuing a form and not the substance. Because prayer, it's not about just getting something from God, but it's about getting God's very self. And imagine if every single one of us were today to get God. I mean, could, could you just for a moment imagine what that looks like in the substance of your life? I mean, perhaps you're like, that is a joke. <laughs> or I got God a long time ago. Well, maybe you're thinking you got religion, you got the form, but the invitation today is to substance. And, and it's striking that when you survey the four Gospels, the, the Gospel really are the, the biography of Jesus' life and ministry. When you look at all these things, when you look at the, the healings and you look at the demonstration of power that Jesus walks in, like he's literally a walking revival. People are clinging to him and then unceasing flows of blood are stopped and people are being raised from the dead. And you think about the preaching, like, oh, the preaching of Jesus. Like when the Sermon on the Mount is done, we're told that the crowds are astonished None of you will leave here ever astonished. But when they heard Jesus teaching, all of them, because they had never heard a person teach like this. Like, what are these words? And it's not just the teaching. Like, the, the Apostle John will go on to say that if all of the stuff, the words and the life of Jesus, if all of those were to be put into ink and paper, there would not be enough books to contain it. Now you're like, well, they just got to get it in the cloud and then they'll be good. But like, but this is, this is the thing, like, he has no vision of that. He's just saying there's so, 
there's so much substance to Jesus. And I would, measure, I, I would venture to guess that we have not be, even begun to taste what God would have for us in Christ Jesus through the power of the Spirit. So then the question that lingers is, how the heck do we get there? And in a word, it would be prayer. See, despite those who were closest to Jesus seeing all the stuff, they never ask Jesus, teach us to cast out demons. Jesus, teach us to move in power. Maybe, I don't know, like walk on water. That was dope. Let's do that again. But instead, there's one thing the disciples explicitly request that both Matthew and Luke record, and it is this. It is, Lord, teach us to pray. Just let that settle in. It's not as though the disciples have no prayer life. Remember, these are Hebrew boys. They grew up in a a life of prayer. It would be like you who grew up in the church and you did that Awana stuff. Anybody by a show of hands? Yes. All of you, you just, somebody was like right here. Like, I I can't. But you know, there's, somebody starts singing a song and it's going to be, what's like the best Awana song? How does it go? No, thanks. Okay. Whatever the best Awana song is, sorry, G. Um, just get that in your mind. You won't get it out. Th- these people basically have the Torah version of Awana in their minds and hearts. They have committed the, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible to memory and heart. They have that. They have a prayer life. Multiple times a day, they are praying the Shema. The the Shema is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then they're they're told, write this on on your hearts. Put it around you. They literally get little pieces of paper, and they fill these boxes, and they bind them on their head. They wrap them on their wrists. They're called phylacteries. They put them, and then they put them in these, these little, if you've ever been to like Brooklyn, and you see they have these little pipes I don't know if you've ever seen this. This is literally, they're putting the word of God in the doorposts of their homes. They're surrounded by it. The disciples have a prayer life, and yet the thing they seek from Jesus is not a demonstration of power, but a reality of prayer. This should shake us. It should shake loose the religiosity that we hold in our hearts and say, what is that power that Jesus holds? And and if you're feeling like, okay, I'm... I'm interested. Just check this out. If you have your Bibles, again, I said Luke 11, but I I think I went a little too soon. So just flip back to Luke chapter 5. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 5, right around verse 15. And I'm just going to give us a little sampling, a little sampling of what the disciples saw in Jesus' life that would lead them to pray a prayer like, teach us to pray. Luke, 15, Luke 5, 15. Yet the news about him, that is Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And hear this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. See, it's like a renewal is breaking out and all the people are coming. It's everything you would hope for. And then Jesus is going away from that very place. Turn the page, go to Luke chapter 6, or if your Bible is like mine, you just look over to Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside. Now he's like backpacking, he's rucking. So Jesus is on the mountainside, and he spent the night praying to God. 
When morning came, he called to his disciples to him and chose the 12. So it's before important decisions, Jesus is going out. He's establishing this rhythm of prayer and he's moving. A few chapters later, just flip on over to, to Luke chapter 9, pick up in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, the, the this meaning his coming death, He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up. Again, there he is on a mountain, and he goes there to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So there, this is the transfiguration. Jesus, before the face of the disciples, is literally transformed. It's like they enter into glory up on a mountain. And if you're, for the Bible nerds in the room, you know that when the people of God go up a mountain and they experience glory, it's hearkening back all the way to Exodus when God shows up on a mountain, the fiery mountain God, and lightning comes. And who goes up into that space but Moses? See, this is, this is the reality that Jesus is inviting him into. It's not just a rabbi, but the very Son of God. What you see is that God will then announce his favor over Jesus. Peter's like, we should probably set up a worship service here. And it's like, no, no, no. Chill out, Peter. This is my son. Listen to him. See, in prayer, Jesus has encountered the substance. In fact, Jesus carries and is the substance. Finally, then, we get to our teaching text in Luke chapter 11, the little um, heading, which by the way, the headings in your Bibles, those are not quote unquote biblical. Those are just put in by editors to help us folks who have a hard time reading to pay attention. But mine says, Jesus is teaching on prayer. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, Luke 11.1. 1. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now just stop right there. We'll pick up with Jesus' response here in a moment. But based on this little sample set of moments of Jesus going away, going into what some texts will call the the wilderness or the lonely place, Jesus often withdrawing, or Jesus going up onto a mountain, or literally Jesus being transformed in the presence of the Father's love. This little sample set of Jesus moving, and we could could survey a whole lot more, but in, in approximately six chapters, what would you say is the core value of Jesus's life? I hope that we would have a response here, folks. Thank you for the love of God. Prayer. Prayer. But what is prayer? Such a simple question. Again, some of you, your like, mind is flashing to uh, the kind of rote but maybe real image of the old ladies with their hair freshly curled and you know, they have like, their styrofoam cups of Folgers and they're there. Cont- they, are the, they call themselves the intercessors, which sounds like a bad Marvel movie, but it actually is really beautiful. The, so yes, that is a version. And Lord, raise up the styrofoam cup holding women who would carry a mantle of prayer for this church in your name. But, but really, what is prayer? Uh, if, if we were to answer this question honestly, my guess is the word that most of you would bring to the fore is boring. I expected some amens there, but you're not so bold. So see, if we're not wooed by prayer, 
If, if we think prayer is itself boring, then maybe we just have not learned what prayer is yet. Perhaps prayer is awkward and tedious. It's just a bit of a slog. Like, why ask God about anything when I can just ask Siri or go to ChatGPT? Certainly, this is not what Jesus is tapping into up on the mountain or out in the wilderness. So again, what is prayer? Well, think about what we just read, that little survey of passages over the course of six chapters. In Luke 5, there's crowds who are seeking Jesus out, and there in the midst of that, Jesus withdraws to the quiet place. So prayer is, in some sense, with a withdrawal from the warp and woof of our daily life. And if, if those moments are kind of spurned, then Jesus will go even further. He'll pray all night. Like, let's say you have small humans in your life. Well... Perhaps their waking in the night is an invitation to pray. That's, that's perhaps the rhythm. If you have a roommate who won't turn their music down or an upstairs neighbor who just won't stop dancing at 1.30 in the morning, then maybe that's an invitation to prayer. My roommate likes to cry in the middle of the night. But seldom do I receive that as an invitation to prayer. It's more just like put the pillow over and hope Jessica doesn't think I'm awake. A little confession right there, low-key. But what I, what I want you to notice is you're like, okay, well, those are private moments where you're trying to hide away with God. Yes, that's beautiful, but that's even not prayer. See, prayer is not just private piety. Notice in, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus invites Peter, James, and John. Those are the three. He says, roll with me up the hill. Let's go have a moment together. So it's not just private piety, but it is something that is corporate. It is something that you get to experience together. So it's prayer is something that you get to participate in, and you're ultimately not the end goal of it, but there's something that would flow through you for the good of others. So what is prayer? Well, prayer, at least as it's displayed in Jesus' life, and as far as I understand it, which is faulty, is simply talking with God, or as Pete Gregg puts it, and I think he says it better, it's this, prayer is a conversation between you and God. Now, if that sounds simplistic, it's not, but it is simple. Let me parse that out. Like, simplistic, it's not thin. It's not brittle. It won't break down over time. But as any of you know, a conversation with somebody can itself be difficult, and you're like, I know. I've been trying to have a conversation with my spouse for years, and it continues to be a struggle. Or if you want to start a new conversation, let me just, for, for those of you for whom this is relevant, let's just say you had a crush on person, a person hypothetically, and you met them, I don't know, at work. And how long did you scheme in your mind for how that conversation would come together? Some of you, you were like imagining this, or like some elbows get, get kind of some nudges of like, oh yeah, it was... It's the proverbial, like, water cooler. Do, are there even water coolers anymore? I've worked in the church for so long. My goodness. But it's the proverbial water cooler, or not so proverbial. The real water cooler. And you're like, okay, they take their break here, so I'm going to act like I'm working and tell about them. And then I'm gonna, when they come over, I see their head. They're like, yeah, like, okay, there's her little hair thing on the bun. It's, it's bobbing across the cubicle. Now I'm going to walk over. Oh, hey. I, you know, like that's, you've been scheming for this. But prayer is kind of like this. It's a conversation you imagine in advance. You come to it with expectancy, and when it happens, you really don't know what to say, but you're glad you're there. But it's even deeper than that. It's even more beautiful than that, because all these little illustrations, they break down over time. You see, this, this response of, to the, the question, what is prayer? Prayer is a conversation between you and God. 
And it is, it's something to behold. And let me just say, I've been in some form of pastoral ministry for over a decade. And a few years back, I was installed as a, um, like a, the first time I was a senior pastor of a small church. And I had these grand visions, or at least what I thought were grand visions. I had these visions of building a culture of prayer. And that's kind of how I said it in my mind. It was like, uh, had some girth to it. And what I realized is um, I, I think what I had in mind was the outcome of a life of prayer, but not the life itself. I, I think I wanted the fruit that comes from a praying life, but not a praying life. Because I saw these ministries or these different folks, but I didn't, I didn't realize what they had sown to be able to have that type of life and potency and, and relationship with the living God, that when God speak, they could discern his voice over and against other voices. I didn't quite get that. And really, I thought, like, we would have some revival status prayer. I'm talking like Joel 2, reimagine, like people dreaming dreams, boys, girl, prophecy, all this stuff. I'm like, let's get it. But you know what happens when an idealist gets in the room? Hi, I'm Kyle. I'm an idealist. And they don't really have anybody to keep them in check. You set this, like, ambition before people, and you're like, we will get this or we will die. And for like two of you in the room, you're like, I'm ready, let's go, I'm made for this. And the rest of you are like, bro, settle down. And I'm like, you need to settle up, let's go. <laughs> Sorry, baby's sleeping. Um, so this, this is my point, is I, I realized that I could not program my way to renewal. God just doesn't work like that. I, I read this recently, there's this mighty man of prayer who stirred my face, something fierce, his name's Leonard Ravenhill. If you want to be convicted, just listen to some Leonard Ravenhill. And he put it like this, he says, many want my mantle of prayer, but they do not want my sackcloth and ashes. That is, many want me to come and lay a hand on them so they might pray like I pray, but they don't want, they want the outcome of this, but they don't want the actual life. And it's to the point, I remember calling this meeting for prayer and no one showed up. It was after, I'm like, I will put it in the most strategic spot right after a gathering. Everyone left, walked past the room where we're going to pray, and I'm just there. And I'm like, what in the world is this? The idealist had come out guns a-blazing and wanted intensity over consistency. And I think the invitation is just, and these are not my words, this is just this guy, John Tyson. You can call him a bloke because he's Australian. But it's just consistency over intensity. So you too may want a life that God holds out in prayer, a life marked by love and joy and peace. The outcomes may sound very appealing. I don't know anybody, even the most ardent atheist who would say, love, joy, peace? No, I don't want those. I'll just have, you know, nihilism. We're all going to die anyways. You know, it's like they want, they want love, joy, and peace. But, but the path to that? See, let me remind you, in Mark 13, Jesus has this remarkable thing. He says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, the first step in discipleship to Jesus is death. So if you want to live, you're going to die. You're like, I think I'm, I'll just, what? They want my mantle of prayer, but they don't want my sackcloth and ashes. So as we begin this little lighthearted series on prayer, I might just be calling us, our church, not not just to die, but to die so we might live. 
to allow like the programs, this is really, I'm preaching to myself right here, allow the, the desire for renewal at a, at a pace of a program to die so that the Spirit might blow on something that we had no imagination for beforehand. And if this is, in some sense, you, you're like, I want a life that God holds out and my means of getting there suck, then let me invite you to pray. See, let, let, me, let, let me just say this. And, and actually, let's just let Jesus say this. I'm going to read this. This is from right before Jesus unpacks the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel according to Matthew. He says this in Matthew 6.6. 6. This is a paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. This is the message. He says this in Matthew 6.6. 6. Here's what I want you to do. This is Jesus. So not Kyle. It's Jesus, paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. Are you ready? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine, as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. If I try to sell you that nonsense, Jesus says, don't fall for it. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. What a God like this with a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. So if you feel like you want the love and joy and peace, but you don't know if you actually want a praying life, let the words of Jesus be a salve to your soul. Pray very simply. We don't have to role play. We don't have to do the program. We can leave all that stuff alone. What that means is if you're full of venom and anger at God and the church, you can bring that to him. He can handle it, and you can call that prayer. If you're full of fear, if you're full of anxiety, you can bring that to God. You can cast that on him, as Peter says, because he cares for you, and you can call that prayer. If you're full of lust, if you have been in an adulterous relationship for years and you've kept it secret, you can actually begin to bring that before the Father and confess it so that healing might come and call that prayer. It can be as heavy as that and as simple as that. And if you have nothing to say, you can simply come before God and say, I've got nothing. And then ask him to help you listen, and you can call that prayer. And if any of that resonates with you, I tried to cover like everybody I could imagine in the church. So if any of that resonates with you, and Lord, let it resonate with someone, then maybe, as Pete Gregg says, you just pray what you got. Don't pray what you don't have. That's not going to work. Pray what you got. Or like the disciples, you could join and say, Lord, teach us to pray. So I just want to give us a moment to do this. This might feel weird for you. I'm fine with that. We're going to take a moment and try this on. If you want, you can close your eyes. If you don't, that's fine. Most of the people in the Bible, they pray like this, with their eyes open and their hands up. If you want to do that, that's cool too. But we would just do this. You take a moment and either quietly under your breath or in your heart, ask Jesus to teach you to pray. I got a clock up there. I'm just going to go 25 seconds. Starting now.
So if you want, you can head back over to the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 11. I think it'd be really cool if the Lord to a lot of you was just like, okay, <laughs> like, Lord, teach me to pray. Okay. So what does Jesus say when his disciples ask him to pray? Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Jesus starts like this. He said, when you pray, say, or, or the New Testament scholar Scott McKnight will say, when you pray, repeat this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. If some of you are thrown off because you were going with an our father, it's okay. You just had Matthew's version in your mind, and it's maybe like what some would call the director's cut is Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. But Luke's is much more concise. And so for the remainder of our time, we're just going to work through this bit by bit to kind of give a, uh, a taxonomy or like a, 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 an overview of what it would look like to begin to pray. If you're like, I don't know where to start, Jesus literally gives you a, pray, a prayer to pray into. And so each little section is just going to create a framework for us to begin to learn how to pray. If some of you, you're like, I know this, relax. You probably don't yet. So just receive what Jesus has on offer. If that sounded a little intense, that was not my intention, sorry. See, so let us just remember who we're talking to. Je Jesus starts out with one simple word, Father. See, throughout the Gospels, Jesus, he will refer to the Lord as God. But by far, the most used reference point for Jesus is Father. It is parental language. And think about it like this. God is a title. The Hebrew is Elohim. Try that on. Elohim. Elohim. Well done. So that is a title. It would be like Griffin coming up to me, who's my eldest, and saying, Pastor. You know, it would just be awkward. I'm like, just call me Dad. Or, or call me Kyle. That's better. Just do what he does, and it's awkward, but I'll take that over Pastor. By the way, he never does that, and if he does, you can just give him a firm rebuke. Um, but think about it like that. Like Jesus has, there's a title for God, but God has a name. God's name is Yahweh. When Moses is, is pleading with God to be with his people and he wants to know him, God will announce his name over Moses and the people thereby, and he'll say, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and kindness. If you want to know who God is, that's who God is. So Jesus could call God by name and not a title, but instead he goes further and he calls God Father. Now, how, how might it feel for you to remember God as Father? I, I would imagine that for some of us in the room, um, to call God Father like touches on a deep wound that we carry. And I don't want to project this. This is, in fact, my story. I confess that I find it much easier to engage with Jesus as the sovereign king than as Father for, for whatever reason. Oh, there is a good reason. It's because of my family of origin. Like, I, I just, I have a much easier time, and it's taken close to a decade to begin to receive God as Father. So much so that, like, the help I have needed is to talk to a professional. Why can I not come to God as Father? And then you just unpack that, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. But it is a work that is well worth it. 
Jesus' invitation to come to God is not just as a God out there in the heavens or even God as Yahweh, but to come to God as Father. To, to, to move as close as a son or a daughter. And perhaps for some of us in the room, like our attachments are all like out of sorts. And so that is a, that is a difficult thing. And my encouragement would just to be patient in that. But if, you're, if your earthly father is a place of harm or trauma in your life and receiving God as father, is, is, you know it will take work. I would also invite you just to, to take heart. Like, it's been a decade, but I just told you that I am now able to call God father. And it still feels awkward, like an itchy sweater, but it's like, it's it's growing on me. Like there's some affection for it. I, I, don't, I don't quite know, but I just ask God, God, help me to receive you as such. And I want to linger here a little bit, a, a little bit longer because what comes to mind when we think about God, Tozer say, is one of the most important things about us. So if we think of God as a taskmaster or whatever your father, who, however your father was to you, if that's how you think God is, and it, it likely will be a part of how you imagine God, the Spirit of Jesus wants to reorder how you think about God, to align with how and who God actually is. And if, if you come to God and you're like, I don't even know if he likes me, and you're like, when I pray, it's kind of like, I know you're busy, but I got this thing going on, or I know you probably hate me, but if you really have a moment up there in the heavens with Gabriel or whatever, like, if that's how you're coming to God, like, let the scriptures do a little correction for you. Because we're going to spend a decent amount of time here in this coming year leaning into prayer. And if each week you're coming in here and you're like, I just don't really know if the Father's affections are for or toward me. If you are coming here week after week and you're just like, I really don't know if what he wants for me is good. You need to wrestle. And maybe, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a person with some level of church authority, and maybe the word authority is even challenging, but just stay with me, say it is good to wrestle with God. Take, if you can't bring your, your wrestlings to God and the church, where are you going to bring them? Twitter? How profitable is that? Let me just say, it's not. You get a little echo chamber, everyone's got it. But with God, he will receive you, he will not rebuke you at first. He will receive you, and he will guide you into a place where the Father's affections can meet you where you are. This is what's so good about God's love is it meets you right where you are, but it also says, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to draw you into a place of refreshment. So if you're thinking, I just don't know if God's intentions toward me are good, this is the time to confront that distrust. At the close of our gathering, it would be a beautiful time in response and worship through song to turn to God, to ask for prayer. If you don't have the words, there will be some folks waiting to pray, and they can pray with you. We can listen to maybe what the, what the Spirit of Jesus wants to say. And again, wrestling, it is not weakness. It is not backsliding in every instance. There's some folks for whom doubt is an honest thing, and there's some folks who are looking for more exits than answers. Let me just say, honest doubt, honest wrestling, it is a gift that God gives, and we can take part in it. See, the work may be hard, but as someone once said somewhere sometime, the juice is worth the squeeze. So get in there. 
Because for Jesus, the place of prayer, it starts with Father. And this is the wonder of unexpected belonging. I mean, out of nowhere, when you pray, pray like this, Father? And if you're still a little suspicious of this, before Jesus did a single thing in his public ministry, before he ever healed anyone or cast out a demon or preached a sermon, he goes down to the waters of the Jordan, and there's a guy who's wearing animal fur, eats bugs, and is, you know, eating hungry. Like, he's a weird dude, and he's like, you got to baptize me. i gotta, I got to be washed into this renewal movement. And John's like, I can't baptize you. I mean, you're the one with greater authority. He's like, no, this is how it has to be so Scripture might be fulfilled. And John's like, okay, I'll do it. And then, and then he does it, and like the heavens open, and the Father declares, this is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus does a thing, the heavens declare the goodness of Jesus. See, the myth that has existed in a lot of evangelical spaces is that you have to get yourself right. Even if it's been stated, it's like, it's not what's been, what you do, what's been done for you. Like, even if you heard that for a long time, we, like, imbibed this thing that I actually do have to get myself right. And Jesus is like, I just came, and it's from that place of belonging, from that place of affection, from the starting place of Father that we begin to prayer, because prayer is just communicating with God. It's just a conversation between you and God. See, we not only need to remember who God is, who we're talking to, but we need to remember who we are. It is like to call God Father is to step into the wonder, the unexpected wonder of belonging in God's kingdom. And that's just getting started. Next week, we'll, we'll step into the rest of what Jesus has to say. But, but I know I've already said a lot, and so um, I, don't, I don't want to, to work out the rest of the Lord's Prayer. Plus, I'm at 31 minutes, and I want to honor you. Um, but if prayer is a place where we can actually get away to be with God, not to get something from him, but to get God himself. If like Jesus, we can withdraw or, or just to simply like slow down to say, Jesus, I, I like have some theological framework that you're everywhere and every wind, so here I am. If we can slow down long enough, you might be surprised that Jesus is willing to teach you to pray. And he starts with an invitation. You know that this invitation is not just to recognize that Jesus prays to his Father in heaven. This is actually to receive the triune, eternal community of love as a parent, as Father, to come to God as Father. And I linger at that point specifically, not just because it's a part of my story, but it's because where Jesus starts this prayer, and it's where we must start as well. See, in a few moments, I'm going to invite those who are serving communion to come forward and do so. And if, if for you, you've grown up in a tradition where you have to um, be a member of the church to receive the bread and the cup, or um, whatever is, if it's, if it's not a burden on your conscience, let me just invite you to this end. To remember that when Jesus was in his final days, 
He drew those who were closest, not just Peter, James, and John, but the 12. He drew all of them, even the one who would sell him to the cross, even Judas Iscariot. He invited them all to remind them that the place of God's love, that the love of the Father is so fierce that it would actually be willing to be poured out. It would be like Jesus would be willing to be broken so we might be healed. And so this is what we do in the bread and the cup, is that we we come to the place of our collective brokenness, that Jesus is here to meet you and me in our brokenness, to remind us that in the place where we think we are too far gone or there's not a, like, uh, certainly God would not want to relate to me. Communion is here to raise a defiant shout, no. My body was broken and my blood was poured out. It is the new covenant of forgiveness of sins in my name. There is a new way forward through the blood of Jesus. And that's not like a grotesque reality. The, 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 the biblical image in this is a covering. The, the whole thought is that there's life in the blood, that it costs a life to spill the blood. And this is all sacrificial imagery. But Jesus, he taps into this and he says, there is now a life, not just for the, the momentary covering of sin, but there is now life that would break forth in the face of your brokenness and the brokenness of creation itself so that renewal would begin to spill out. And as we, the bride of Christ, take in the renewing reality of Jesus, we remember that God's love was so fierce, the Father's love was so fierce for creation that he would send his son to be broken for our healing. So if you would, as the, the plates are passed, if you would want to take and you would want to receive the brokenness of God for your healing, I would invite you to do so. If any time, I hope that we can just like shift the atmosphere, shift the dynamic in the room. If at any time you're like, I want to deal with God, consider this an altar, if you will. Like you can, you can come. And all, generally what it takes is it takes one person. It takes one person to kind of like break the threshold of the social norms to come forward. And before you take the bread and the cup, if you just wanna say, God, Lord, teach me to pray. I don't even want you as my father. Like, and you wanna just like, tear, like pour out your frustration. How long, oh Lord? Go to Psalm 77. Go to Psalm 72. Take up the Psalms of Asaph. How long are you, gonna, are you gonna wait? How long must I cry out? Bring one of those in your heart before the Lord. But before you go away, allow his brokenness to join your own. So those who are serving communion are gonna do so now. And I'm just, we'll just have silence here. I'll pray, we'll have silence, and then we can respond. If you wanna come forward, you're welcome to do so. If you need prayer, there'll be a couple folks in the back to receive you. Um, well, let me pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on the lakeshore as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, bread that was broken by you to join us in our brokenness. Help us to receive it. 
forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Help us to release the debts off of others, to no longer hold them in bondage with our bitterness and our malice, but to release that, to say vindication belongs to the Lord. I wanna be free from the shackles of bitterness. So Jesus, I need you to come and heal me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. So Jesus, I pray that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would hold us, would draw us, and would bring us refreshment through the broken body and the blood. Thank you again for joining us. If you feel stirred to pray and you want this to move beyond your heart and lips to be joined with others, 9.30 on Sunday mornings before our gathering, we have our pre-gathering prayer. I invite you, come and have your faith built up as you pray with others and wait on Jesus and the Spirit to hear how he might want to move in his church uh, to see the gospel break loose on the lakeshore. So I'd love to see you there or simply right back here next week in the podcast. Grace and peace.